Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is a bonus episode of the Make It Podcast with actor, writer, and producer Alan Powell. Why are we giving you a bonus episode? Well, his film, his Netflix film, A Week Away, is now available for you to view and support and show love to, and so we want to do the same, show love for Alan and Kaylee Bailey and the whole team uh, that are friends of this podcast, and drop this episode on you guys. Uh, it's also very valuable. It uh, is a deep dive on all things uh, tools, tactics, methodologies, motivation around being a indie filmmaking creative. So please enjoy and we'll be back in your podcast player soon with a brand new episode of the Make It Podcast. You're listening to Make It podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Alan Powell. I'm, a, I'm an actor, writer, and producer. I have no idea if you know me from anything, but if you did, maybe you were watching Quantico or some film or who knows. Um, but uh, I'm excited to be here and talk about how we get to continue to do this thing we love. Alan Powell, welcome to the Make It Podcast. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you as well. You know, we, we crossed paths uh, a long time ago. Um, it seems like, and uh, it's been so fun sitting back, sort of watching you um, uh, ascent, if you will. But I think, in a way, your whole life has been about that. You've been doing that, you know, from the beginning. Um, you have uh, a number of projects you've been working on, and, and the latest one uh, we got news uh, Netflix would be producing called A Week Away, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But going back to um, your high school days and going back to um, just sort of the beginning of things, um, it, it was shocking to me to, to sort of find out that, that you um, hadn't been doing things even earlier because um, what I spent the last, I'd say from, so from 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. last night, I watched uh, you on YouTube doing various things, and, and the thing, including <laughs> including singing, uh, singing, acting, interviews, everything. And the thing that stood out to me is that you are undeniably talented. And so well, that's uh, very kind of you, Chris. Thank you. you know, it's true, and um, it, it's one of those things that it, it stands out in such an obvious way. And so I'm curious, oh. Well, if you had any reservations about going into this field, why was that? Um, well, you know, I grew up in a musical family 
So music was was just what was around much more so than than filmmaking or acting for that matter. So just kind of what was what was close proximity. And then my younger sister was fascinated with musical theater. And so that, that's kind of where my you know, I did a I did a musical in high school my senior year just for fun because I was bored. And that was the first time I'd ever acted. But I was I was really like drawn to it. I remember watching Tom Hanks in um, Saving Private Ryan. And there's a scene that if you're a fan of the film, he's putting on a front for his his unit and then takes an aside and goes over. And I think they had just lost their medic. The Giovanni Ribisi character, I think, is where, the, where this falls and mm-hmm. goes over to the side and, and just has a has a breakdown. You know, um, Spielberg and the writer geniusly implanted that uh, that that shake. The first thing we see from his character is opening on his hand as it's shaking. And this is kind of the payoff moment for that for that plant where it starts shaking and he can't control it. And he basically has a breakdown. I just remember as a kid watching that moment and knowing in my head that you know, Tom Hanks was not in World War Two. Um, there were. There were people around. At the very least, there were cameras. I didn't understand how production worked, but I knew that they weren't actually experiencing that. I knew that Giovanni Ribisi did not actually die uh, moments before. You know, you know all these things, but still, I was moved um, by that character and by the story because of what Tom did in that moment. I remember being fascinated by that, both challenged, inspired, certainly fascinated, and on some level, being like, "Man, that is really cool. I'd love to do that." And so, that kind of started me on an internal fascination that I just kind of cultivated over the years, which is to say I would, you know, you said you were watching videos of me singing. I had the privilege of being in a band called Anthem Lights for a while. And so we would be on a plane flying to play a show and I'd be reading a book on acting with no prospects. Like I wasn't an actor. I just was fascinated by it. Um, And then when all of the stars aligned, if you will, uh, there was a film coming through Nashville looking for uh, their lead actor, but they were much more interested in finding a musician who they could kind of teach to act as opposed to finding an actor who they could fake musicianship. And uh, so many things had to come together for that to work out, as things often do, right? Um, but it did. I was fortunate enough, and they gave me that part. And looking back on it now as a producer and having acted, uh, obviously, for a while now, I know how crazy it was that they let a you know, a novice, a first timer play the lead in their, in their movie, but, um, very, very grateful. And, um, anyway, just loved, fell in love with the process exactly as I anticipated that I would, um, from the moment they gave me that, that job and just never wanted to stop. Um, and so I've been fortunate enough to, although I took last year off as an actor to make this movie that I assume we'll get into at some point. It's, 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 it's just one of my favorite things in the world to do. And it's so much fun. And, uh, I've been I've been so happy to continue to do it. Yeah, and and so that's there are so very few people, Alan, that can and, and very few creatives that can win at two games, and and yet that's precisely what you have done and and are doing. Um, you started with Yellow Cavalier, and then moved into Anthem Lights, and, and sort of at a, at its peak. Uh, you, you walked away to, to give your full attention to to film. How tough a decision was that? How did you come about making that decision? 
Yeah, you've done your research. It's impressive. So Yellow Cavalier um, is the same band as Anthem Lights. We just changed the name. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was not easy. But at the same time, you have to, when you know, you know. It's kind of one of those, like, cliche phrases. But like I said, the first day, not even the first day on set, but the first time it was a Saturday. It was a callback for, this, for, for the first movie I ever did called The Song. It was a Saturday. It was two weeks after the initial audition. I came back for the callback, and they let they they were really interested in me playing this part. And so it was me and another actor that were basically there all day reading with the other prospects for the for different characters. And so I was there for like eight or ten hours in Regina Moore's office, who's a casting director there in Nashville, who I love to this day. And she's still one of my favorite people on the planet for this reason. And and really cool full circle on this movie that we just produced and shot in Nashville last year. Um, that Netflix acquired, as you were mentioning, I, I got to hire her as the local casting director in Nashville. It was just really cool full circle thing. But, um, you know, from that, from that callback, I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. Like it, 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 this is all I want to do. And so from that moment, I knew that I would begin phasing out of Anthem lights. Now I didn't do it for another two or three years because another aspect of just my life personally is I've got a whole bunch of kids and uh, a lot of people that depend on me, a lot of people that I have to take care of. So obviously financially, I can't just jump ship and leave the thing that's taking care of them for this other thing that is not um, providing for my family yet. So I, I had to wait and keep my keep my head down and keep working until it came to a place where I was able to step away from uh, music because um, film and acting was was taking care of the of the family. So it just, it just took some time and, um, juggling both of those things is, you know, like anything else is, is not easy, but you do what you have to do. And I was so privileged and am so privileged to be able to do both of those things, uh, you know, for a living. Um, it's cause so many people want to do either. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be able to, to, to do both, um, and continue to, to do that. So it was, uh, it's just a matter of, essentially practicality. Um, I had to, I had to wait and keep working and until I got to a place where I could do just the thing that I knew I wanted to do. And even from there, it started as an actor and then grew into producing because you keep, hopefully you keep pushing and you keep growing. And I look to direct next and, uh, never want to stop producing because I love every aspect of filmmaking and never want to stop acting because I feel like I have something to offer and something to say. And it's, it's one of the great joys of my life. And, but now, having done both of those things, I'm fascinated by the director's chair and think that there's, I don't know what it is yet. I don't have the story. I don't, you know, I, I'm, but I'm, I'm excited for that challenge. Yeah, as I'm, I can't wait to see what comes uh, out of that. And I uh, hope you'll stay in touch with us on it. And so I have a Regina uh, King story or Regina Moore story. Um, and she was the casting director on on uh, a week away, and uh, I've never told this Regina Moore story, okay, publicly. I told it to Regina to her face. So I done a I done a talk, and she was uh, attending the talk, or maybe it's the other way around. No, it was before I did my talk. It was she did she had done a talk, and I attended I attended it, um, and she was um, going around uh, shaking hands and answering questions and stuff, and. And I, told, I said, um, uh, 
hey, you know, we know each other before before this. And she said, well, how's that? I said, 20 years ago, uh, you walked into an Applebee's and saw me as a waiter and asked me to come audition for a commercial. <laughs> and, and I said, I came and this is what happened. So I came, I think it was a Reebok commercial, Alan. So I came, I went to the bathroom, sort of had almost like a, um, like a psych yourself up moment, like in the mirror, like, cause I had never done anything before. I didn't know anything about it. I just literally was following the suggestion that she had given me. Um, and I'm in the mirror, like getting ready. And out of the bathroom comes this guy who's wearing nothing but a Speedo <laughs> in the bathroom. <laughs> what? Yes. And he is jacked. And not only is he jacked, he's oiled up. He has oil all over his abdomen and, and everything, right? And he's bald-headed. He's a black dude. He's bald-headed. And even his head, Alan, was oiled up. And I was like, holy shit. So, <laughs> so I felt I, I was on my heels. And you know what? I, I felt so self-conscious. I was like, well, I can't compete against this guy. Then I didn't even do it. And, mm. and Regina was like, you should have done it. He probably didn't get the part because we don't go for guys that are all oiled up like that. It probably doesn't fit the part. You should have done it. And it was a great life lesson for me just in sort of having the self-esteem and, and the ego to just go out there and put it all on the line and, yeah. and not worry about it. But I've never really told that story. But, yeah, that was my first entree into, <laughs> into, into Regina Moore. And um, she, she's awesome. She's fantastic. And she tells it like it is. Uh, she's She's great. I mean, she's, I mean, as I mentioned, legitimately one of my favorite people and you could build a, you know, you could build a case for, uh, my life being very, very different were it not for her and her belief in an, in an unknown and, um, you know, her own, her, her, her own talent and, and trusting herself and spotting this guy who'd never done anything. So I'm very appreciative of her. Yeah, for sure. So, so let's talk a little bit about a week away. Uh, this is, uh, your new film that you wrote, and uh, Netflix picked up. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I, I believe we might have, Bonza might have even got pitched this story years ago. I'm not sure if it's the same one. Um, but uh, I was so pumped to see it, you know, when it happened. Um, how long have you had this particular story in your mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we talked about it years ago because it's, uh, it's an idea that I had maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, and I just, I just knew, believed, I guess is a better word, that... Uh, that there was something special about it. I mean, I knew that we hadn't seen it in the marketplace and it hadn't been done, which was confusing to me and surprising. And, um, you know, I, uh, we just continued to cultivate it. And finally three, actually, I think the draft is in is 16, if I remember correctly. So what is that? <laughs> Four years ago, uh, almost Kaylee Bailey and I wrote the first draft of this story and I had never written before. Um, and so there's another thing. I'm just like, ah, well, I'll just dive in, see how it goes. Um, right. But was fortunate enough to have a, a a friend and a partner like Kaylee Bailey to uh, who had written um, and continues to do so, and she's great. And so anyway, so we wrote this first draft together in '16, and um, yeah, so it's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, and and uh, Kaylee Bailey is a friend of the podcast, and you can listen to her episode. I believe it's like episode ten. Or something like that. So she came early on and, and talked to us on the on this podcast, 
Oh, and, that's cool. Did you guys talk a, a week away or how long ago was that? Oh, years ago. No, we're going to have her back on to talk about it. She wanted, she wanted you to go first. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so hopefully we get her back on, but I, I did see her recently at, um, at an industry party and, um, and she's, she's just awesome. And, and you kind of, she's also another one where you just kind of know she's going to do fine because she's so oh, focused yeah, she's, and, and talented. She's, she's lovely. And, and just like so many other creatives, myself included, Kaylee Bailey. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, this is coming up actually, because I know that your podcast is mostly for creatives. I imagine mm-hmm. us creatives, man, we doubt ourselves. And Kaylee Bailey is so talented. And, uh, that's, that's, the, that's what our partnership has been. Just us encouraging each other, um, that our ideas are good, that our ability is sufficient. You know, I mean, this is what hopefully good creative relationships do because this is a struggle I think that we all have, oddly enough. Yeah, and you mentioned that this story wasn't out in the world and you were surprised by that. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what this movie is about? Yeah, and what I mean when I say that specifically is just that A Week Away is a, to my knowledge, and I think this is true, is the first uh, ever faith-based musical um, which is just weird because the biggest industry in the faith-based space in general is uh, music. Um, and we've all, we've all known and seen over the last 10, 15, maybe even 20 years how the film side of, uh, ha- has done. A lot of success, a lot of successful projects. Uh, but nobody put the worlds together. Uh, and that was kind of our goal and our hope. And so we were the first people to, to do that. Um, and that's, you know, so we just thought that was interesting. So... I, you know, there's a whole lot more to unpack there, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to create something that hadn't been done. I grew up, uh, my dad was a pastor my whole life, so I grew up in that culture and that industry and that world. Um, Anthem Light started as a, as a Christian band. Like, I just, I just understand that world. Um, and mm-hmm. so, again, you know, they say, write what you know. They say, exist in worlds that you're familiar with because you can be the barometer for authenticity specifically as a young writer and even as a young producer um i realized that one of my main strengths on that project whether it be writing the script or producing the music or producing the film was that i knew it it was in my bones and so i knew when it was um inauthentic i knew when it was going in a direction that it shouldn't be going or didn't feel real or wasn't doing what uh you know i always hoped this either story or movie would do and that was really my greatest strength as a first-time producer and a first-time screenwriter and so you know i'm hoping now after that experience that i'm i can venture out and now i could produce and or write things that weren't so in my bones but i i love that experience and i think that that was one of the great strengths that i had going into that. So it would encourage young filmmakers and young writers and young creatives, truthfully, like as you, when you're getting started, exist in worlds that you really know and that you really um, have experienced and are essentially an expert in because your research is done for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can just work on the side, on the, the, the aspect of things that you're not familiar with yet. Um, and don't let... Uh, lack of knowledge of the world you're trying to create be one of those things. So that was a big, that, that was important for me in this process. Yeah. And I, it's something me and Nick preach, uh, you know, every other week we do indie talks where we just kind of talk uh, about what's happening and, uh, or talk about branding and marketing specifically. 
And you really hit it out of the park on this because you have a niche audience um, and you have a niche genre within the within the film itself. I mean, you really can't do better than that. And I think understanding that is 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 so important because that's really what Netflix is betting on. It's like you guys are walking in with two different distinct audiences at once, people who love musicals and people who love faith-based films. And so I think it's going to do really, really well rooting for you. Um, do, do you have I think, t- just oh, to hang ahead. out there for a second, Chris, yeah. I just, because I think that's so important is we were having and continue to have, for that matter, conversations with potential distribution partners. Um, you know, we took this movie around, you know, all around town, as you can imagine, before finally landing with Netflix. And one of the things that people continued to respond really positively to even before they saw the movie was, was what you're talking about. The idea that they, we know who this is for, you know, this is a very specific piece of, of business. And I think that that that's something that young filmmakers, whether they're directing, writing, producing, we often forget that. I, I, I see that a lot. Like, let's just make, we'll make another good indie drama or we'll make another, this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, well, who's, but who's it for? Like, who's going to watch this, this movie or watch this TV show. And, and the truth is if we can't, if we can't answer that question very specifically, then our, the, the potential partners are not going to be able to. And if you can't answer it, then they're just not going to be interested in it. You have to be able to say with confidence and essentially a tested theory, here's who we're making this piece of content for. Here's who we believe is going to consume this. Um, and that, that seems to be one of the things that kind of gets glazed over at the really early stage of contemplation for creatives, which is something that, you know, we just have to, we got to be able to drill down and answer that question before, in my opinion, we spend certainly time and energy and money um, on an idea that we thought was cool because, you know, it'd just be cool to be able to shoot that stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, you can, and and you should if you just really want to. But if the hope is that it it's professionally successful, we must be able to answer that that question. Thank you so much for that, man. That that is spot on. And we always say you should be able to fit your audience on, on the on the tip of a pen. Uh, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you you want to whittle it down that specifically. Um, a lot of times we'd ask, well, who's this movie for? It's for everybody. Well, then it's for nobody. Yeah, you, if that's if that's the response, you you got some work to do, right? And and so it, it's sometimes it's not the message, but it's the messenger. So I'm glad that that you said that, and uh, it's it's so spot on. Um, do you, do you have any tips for uh, or advice for co-writing? Yeah, I would say I've only done it once. I want to be really clear. Well, I've done it. I I, I do it now, but up to that that stage, I've I'd only done it once and. Um, find somebody who you respect, obviously creatively, because I imagine you can imagine a world where you're co-writing with something and you don't really think they're good in the first place. So when they offer an idea, it starts at a massive disadvantage and that is only going to end in, uh, discontentment and frustration because they keep pitching ideas that you think are terrible they might not be terrible, but such a big part of the creative process is having the freedom to throw terrible ideas out, like be able to say terrible things so that, you know, when Kaylee Bailey gives this idea and it's terrible, 
she has the freedom to do that. And then that makes me think of this other idea that's a little less terrible. And then she takes that little less terrible idea and then makes it, then that forms an idea that's actually pretty good. And then I take that one and go, here's one that actually is, is, is definitely good. And then she takes that. And before you know it, we end up at great, but it started with terrible, but you have to have the, the trust, um, between those partners to, to, to be able to start with that terrible idea and just throw anything out. So I think there has to be a respect creatively between the two. And I, I, I think that partnerships would, I think of like, um, you know, if, if you're writing music, one of you is really good at melody and one of you is really good at lyric, uh, is, is kind of a perfect partnership. And I think there's something in that, like in screenwriting, if one of you is really good, like once you get in a scene, mm-hmm. um, and the other one is really versed and has a passion for structure, that feels like a perfect marriage to me. Now, it doesn't mean that it has to be that way. Maybe you guys have similar strengths and similar weaknesses, which is okay. But at least being aware of the weakness of the partnership is going to be important. I think often when you're doing that, you're probably going to end up in in uh, with a story or a script where you're going to have to bring in somebody else to do, who does have that that strength. I mean, that's really what screenwriting is, right? It's a, it's a combination of structure, which is, is pivotally important, um, and then being writing interesting dialogue once you get in the scene. Um, creating interesting characters once you get in the scene. So if you have a partnership that just does one of those really well and the other one is kind of lacking, well, you'll probably have to bring in somebody who does the other thing. So a best partnership early on is to be able to cover all of those bases. Um, and that was, that was kind of our experience um, on, on a week away as well. And I, I, I definitely know that Kayla Bailey has grown in all aspects of her writing. I like to think that I, I have as well. Um, but I think we were bringing different things to the table at that particular time that just worked well together. Yeah. And, and she has a lot of promise. I read one of her early screenplays uh, as well. And I wonder if there was a moment where you two are in the room together and you just look at each other and you realize, I think we got something here. Uh, when did you know it was good? Well, I'll be, you know, it's two things. First of all, the first draft that we wrote together, as you can imagine, is very much a first draft. I mean, it's, it's the movie. If I, if I sent you our draft and you watch the movie, it's very different, but that's just how movies go, right? Like that's, that's the redrafting and rewriting process. But I think for me that when I was like, this, this is, I'm glad we've done this. We should keep leaning into this and I will continue to spend a large amount of my time trying to get this thing made, you know, Kaylee Bailey and I both grew up in the church and we both grew up going to church camp a lot. And this, this movie essentially is set at a church camp when we felt like we were, it gave us all those feelings, the reminiscent feelings and we're writing things that we've experienced, but we were adding a layer of storytelling and adding the, um, you know, elevating it, if you will, just so that it was entertaining in a film from a film side, but we still felt like we had that, that tinge and was giving us those feelings. We, you know, there's something that you, you just feel like other people are going to feel that as well. Other people are going to resonate with that as well. And I think it was, it was falling in place and, and the story was, the structure was, was solid. And it just feels like you're, you're onto something. You get the feeling like I would watch this movie 
Like I, I would watch this, this movie and I'm not even really the demographic. So that's gotta, that's gotta say something. Um, effortless. I, I like the word effortless in, in creativity. I feel like if you're laboring, if it was, I'll say it differently. If it feels labored, the audience won't enjoy it. Now, don't mm. get me wrong. I think as creatives and as, as artists, we have to move through laboring. Like we have to get in that, that aspect of it, but then be constantly like pushing through that until it be, until it feels effortless again. Typically the best ideas in my experience, the best ideas like come in a moment of effortlessness. They're like, Oh, this would be, you know, this is an example. Faith-based musical like that's easy like that should exist oh we'll set it at church camp of course like all that stuff feels <laughs> obvious right yeah then you know Kaylee bailey and i get in the room together and we labor through all of the stuff you have to labor through and make it and feels like work but you keep doing that until you come back out on the other side with something that feels effortless again you know if i told you the story of the movie I could tell it to you in 30 seconds and you'd be like, Oh, of course, like that's, yes. of course that's what would happen. Um, but we have to, you know, Kay, the baby and I had to work through pounding our head against the wall. Um, until we got to, until we got to that moment, it's like, Oh, the best ideas always, in my opinion, the best ideas always feel like the ones that were right under your nose the whole time. Mm-hmm. And until, until that, until that, is there i mean think of like the great films you know like I, I don't know why die hard is on my mind right now but die hard is like that's right under your nose right ex-cop uh comes back and he's got this he's got his ex-wife who he still loves who gets he gets in trouble and he's kind of like a useless cop he's not really good at his job but this these guys come in and they bust up this thing and they hold everybody hostage and of course he's the guy that's got a save everybody and you know exactly <laughs> how that story is going to go exactly. it feels yeah. it feels it feels effortless now i promise you it wasn't somebody had a spy note was a novel first but he had a spark of an idea then he had to work through all those beats so that they felt effortless and that so that to me is is what i'm always looking for you know whether you're t- thinking like what's the next scene or what's this piece of dialogue all the way up to what's what's a movie that we can make like i want an idea that feels effortless and then i'm willing to do the work that you have to do but all hoping that the end of it it feels effortless again because i think it has to feel effortless for the audience you know i was watching how to train your dragon yesterday with my kids a perfectly perfectly structured movie perfectly structured movie and it feels absolutely effortless you'll look up and the movie will be over because one scene leads to the next one. And of course that happens. And of course that has to happen. I care about all of the characters in such a limited amount of time. There's so much work as a writer and a creative that goes into giving the audience member this carefree experience. Yes. But I do think that the goal at the end of it is to feel effortless. And I also think that like a lot of indie films, that's the difference. Like, so many indie films, young filmmakers, like just feel so labored to me. Like you're asking the audience to put themselves through something and nobody wants to do that. Like nobody wants to do that. It feels like we haven't done the work yet as a 
creative to to craft a story in a way that is more enjoyable. And I don't mean like people are laughing enjoyable because, you know, Breaking Bad, you're not going to laugh very much when watching that show. And it's a great show. Right. But you are you're going on a ride and you're enjoying yourself, obviously. So I don't even know what the question was, but this idea of effortlessness is, <laughs> is so prevalent in my mind right right now. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm always working towards, uh, but I know that you have to work hard to make it seem like it wasn't hard work. Um, right. And we right. got to do that. Yeah, it's actually profound what you're saying in, in, in a lot of ways because uh, almost, I'd say, 80% of the screenplays that, that we read uh, that don't have typos and are actually readable uh, and are structured decently, um, their major flaw is, is exposition. Like, so, so they want us to care about the characters sooner than we're ready to as an audience. And that becomes problematic um, when you really want that payoff, you know, in act two and act three of your story. And, and so uh, it very much feels like being an athlete where we watch athletes do things and then we think we can go out and do them and we find out how hard it really is to do those things. Yeah. Uh, but they've practiced and trained so well. They're so prepared and in a lot of ways have God-given talent that allows them to do things that seem easy but are quite difficult. And by the way, speaking speaking of athletics, you're, you're, uh, it's no secret that you are quite jacked and uh, keep yourself in shape. Uh, congratulations. Um, <laughs> uh, you were in a film called Worth Fighting For, and it looked like you were the second coming of Brad Pitt and Troy. Um, can, you, can you just talk this audience through what your general diet and workout routine is? Yeah, well, listen, Worth Fighting For, if, yes, I worked really hard to look the way that I look in that you know, poster image and that trailer. So, you know, I, I'm proud of it. There's no doubt, but you can't sustain life that way. Um, for what it's worth. But, um, what I, uh, you know, on a daily basis, I'm literally just, uh, I always, uh, pace when I walk, but I'm, I'm pacing in, in my gym here at the house and it's nothing fancy, but I converted my garage into a, into a gym because fitness is important to both my wife and I. And so the, the, the cars park outside and we work out in the gym. So, um, or in the garage, but you know, it's, it's important to me. I wake up in the morning and, uh, try to eat relatively healthy. I, I should dial my diet in more than I do, but I, I enjoy lifting weights and I enjoy exercising. I kind of, I always have ever since college. So, um, when, when I know there's a camera in my near future, I'll, I'll dial, I'll dial up the workout a little bit, even though it's, you know, I push myself pretty hard in here all the time because it's fun to me. It's a, it's a, um, it's a competition. I always write down um, what I do, whether it be the reps and or the weight of a specific move that I'm doing for my program that week. And then I usually have a cycle of five week programs. And so, you know, if I did chest last Monday, um, this Monday I, I wrote down what I did last week, and I have to beat myself. So there's there's an internal competition that's really fun to me. Uh, so I just, I enjoy that aspect of it. And as far as the diet is concerned, if there's a camera in my near future, I'll dial in my diet when that's not the case. I just try to be generally healthy and, but you know, I still want to live life. So my diet is not as, as, as strict as it may seem if you're looking at my uh, footage or photos, because I knew there was a camera coming up. So I, I dialed that stuff in. So I try to, 
I try to stay anywhere from three to four weeks out from being really dialed in mm-hmm. um, so that I can, you know, still have fun and have ice cream with my kids and have a cocktail at night with my wife and that kind of stuff. But if I know that uh, I'm doing a shirtless fighting scene, as I did in that movie, there's just no drinking, there's no sugar. I'm eating the same thing every day for three months trying to look like the second coming of Troy and, and, uh, in a, in a little while. So, um, I love so, this yeah. idea that you, that you uh, have created a competition with yourself. And, um, uh, I, that, that hits home for me. I used to do that in basketball all, all the time. Um, things that would seem mundane to someone else would, would be so intense for me. I would sit there and just literally try to hit one more free throw than I hit the previous 50 shot session. So um, that stuff drives, just depends on what your personality type is and your temperament is. And and I could see you doing that and, and getting the results you want. So thank you no, it's, for sharing it's, that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's really fun. I enjoy that. I, I'm a very competitive person. Hopefully I'm, I'm mature enough now in my, older age that I don't let it, you know, we could play a game of Monopoly and I wouldn't end up yelling at you, but uh, (laughs) inside I, I, I care that much. I've learned to hopefully filter and only let that beast out when he's helpful and not harmful. Um, but when I get in the gym, he's helpful and there's nobody else around. So I can scream as loud as I want and yell at myself and try to beat last week's Alan. And that's, you know, there is some aspect of that, that, that just kind of is a part of us and it's true for me in general. So you said, you know, I, I had the opportunity to, to make a living as a musician, which a lot of people want to do. And then I switched and made one as an actor, which a lot of people want to do. And then now I've transitioned again and have done it as a producer and a writer. And, and there's absolutely an aspect of that competitiveness that is necessary to, for me, at least so far to have been able to do that and hope to continue to do that and do that at a higher level. It's, it's the same guy inside for me that kind of pushes me to those things i love that it's a great thing for for those who want to invest in films i think that are listening to understand that i think you know one thing that's really tough to learn because it really runs like an angel investing business and um one thing you really have to learn is is you're, you're basically betting on your founders or in this case in film it would be the filmmakers right the producers and the directors and it takes a while to develop that judgment to figure out, wait, who, you know, who are you? Why would this work? Why wouldn't it work? And, um, a big part of that is, are they competitive? Are they going to see this thing to the end? Are they, are they determined to be successful? Um, no matter what. And that's something that Bonsai has learned actually in the last five years is our judgment has gotten, uh, so, so much better. Uh, in terms of, of trying to pick out and, and discover that trait. So thank you for that. And, and you know, you've mentioned, uh, you've mentioned uh, growing up um, in the church, um, you're very, it's no secret, I mean, you're very forward about your family and uh, great family that you have. And here we are in the film business. And, and so the health of your soul comes to mind. And so I'm wondering, do you have any advice or exercises that you go through to keep yourself from losing your soul in this business while remaining successful? Yeah, I mean, you know, I almost did. So that helps, right? When Mm -hmm. When you almost lose your soul, and this isn't the podcast for all that stuff, but when you do experience that, 
like when you when you walk up to the edge for lack of a better term um and you feel like you're already in the middle of the free fall and what and what that looks like it's it's uh it's it's easy not easy but then you, you're forced perspective um and i was i was i guess now looking back i can literally say it was fortunate enough to be able to experience that because it's given me that that perspective that that couldn't be shaken out of me by any amount of money or opportunity or film or any of that stuff so um that that's kind of what happened to me but but on this side looking back to be able to speak to someone else i would just you know there's a lot of people who and i'm just speaking frankly i don't know how this is going to sound but i'll you know for the sake of the importance of this side of the conversation to me i'll say it anyway there's a number of people who look at what I've had the privilege to do in my career so far and wish that they could do it or had done it right. Whether it be being, you know, a series regular network show, a network show or having a movie get made or then having that movie acquired by Netflix or being an artist, you know, all, all the things, which is great. I feel so privileged to have been able to do those things, but it, it reminds me of what Jim Carrey, one of my favorite quotes in the world, but Jim Carrey said, I wish everybody could be rich and famous so that you know that it's not the answer. Um, I'm neither rich nor famous, um, but I understand what he's saying with the, with the small amount of taste of both of those that I've been able to experience, which is to say, man, when I wake up in the morning and I see my, my wife laying next to me and we go get, we'll go get breakfast for our kids. And, you know, right now I just got a bike down off the, uh, you know, off the ceiling of our garage cause my kid wanted to ride it. And I mean, that's that's what it is, man. That's why we do what we do. And the truth is, if all of this stuff went away, I, I'd be fine because there's only, there's only six things in life that I feel like I can't live without. And they all have my last name. And, you know, I, I love what I do. I feel privileged to do what I do, but they are the reason that I do what I do. And if I lost the vocation, I'd be fine, but I, I, I have to have the people, uh, that motivate the vocation. So it's just kind of, it's, it's maturity. It's growing up. It's forcing yourself to look at what really matters and paying attention to what really matters. Um, and, and I hope that everybody listening, um, either pushes themselves to have that perspective or best case already has it. Um, that's important. That's, that's great. Thank you uh, so much for that. And sort of in that same theme, if you could give, uh, let's say, an indie creative, someone who's going into writing or making their first feature film, maybe they're fresh out of film school or maybe they're fresh out of their mom's basement. Um, if you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Oof, one piece of advice. Um, do something. Um, I think that's the thing that I continue to have with my fellow creative friends who I appreciate and love and respect and want great things for. There's often this waiting that ha that's, that's happening that confuses me. Um, and I don't think is helpful and or necessary, truthfully. You know, I mean, we, we, have, we have something, we have a camera on our phone that is more capable than what Scorsese had when he shot Raging Bull, you know, um, yes. that's just the reality of the situation. Um, go do something, you know, I, it, it just in my own personal 
experience with with regard to a week away you know this movie doesn't sell to netflix if kaylee bailey and i don't just go write that script nobody paid us to do that obviously and so we went and and did it and that's just that's what we have to do you know there's there's one of the actors directors writers producers go out and make something um quit quit waiting there's great there's great people such as yourself avenues that people can uh you know get their stuff seen by the the nashville film festival uh there's places to to show your work but even more importantly it's just about getting good right it's just about working your craft and every time if you're a director every time you direct something you get better if you're an actor every time you do a scene specifically a scene in front of a camera and a camera can be your phone you get better so do those things i think is the one piece that i would give somebody absolutely i think i I think I'm hearing one of your kids in the background right now as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, well, you've been you've been great with with this and, and, and been more than generous with your time. I only have a few more questions. Are, are you still good? Yeah, I'm good. Sorry, you may get some kids in the background, but I'm good. Awesome. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send some uh, some uh, uh, bonus round sort of <laughs> uh, quick quick questions at you. So. Um, you have uh, Veritas Maximus on one of your walls. What is what is that for? What does that mean? Translate that for us. Verde Maximus means big green. Verde Maximus is the name. When I was going to uh, church camp, the first year that my church did our own camp, we created two teams that we as campers would like compete with one another. And I, I was I was a senior at the time, and so it was the the grandfather of one of the teams and the and created. This team, it was the green team, and I named it Verde Maximus. Now, fast forward however many years, 15 years, and I'm making this movie about this kid who goes to church camp, and we, too, because we're pulling right out of our own experience, uh, Kayla Bailey and I created this uh, competition within the film. And so the, the name of the team that our main character ends up on as a just paying homage to my my team, I named Verde Maximus. So that poster that's on the my wall, if that's what you're talking about, is from the movie. Um, we, it was hanging in, in uh, one of our lead characters' cabin in the film, and I stole it from the set, and now it hangs in my office. So <laughs> that's what it is. That's, that's awesome. Uh, what creatives do you most admire and, and want to emulate, and, and what do you think they do from a technical or skill standpoint that sets them apart? What creatives do I most admire and want to emulate? Uh, Aaron Sorkin is my favorite writer. Um, I, mean, I had, the, I had the, the fortunate privilege of meeting him about eight weeks ago, right before this, uh, might have been longer than that, right before this, the quarantine uh, happened, and he was lovely and uh, you know, even is placating me to the extent that he continues to tell me that we're going to go get coffee at some point in the near future. But uh, we'll see if that happens, but nonetheless, Aaron Sorkin is my favorite writer. Uh, I think what he does as a screenwriter is my favorite kind of entertainment, like my favorite thing to watch, um, which is just colliding ideas, um, told in an interesting way. Um, and one of my, another thing that I really have learned from him as a writer is that all of his villains, they're not villains in their own mind. Uh, I think his actual quote is he's, they're all making their argument why God should let them into heaven. Um, uh, that's great. If you think back on his Jack Nicholas, you can't handle the truth. 
to his Steve Jobs to you know anyway he 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 creates great uh, writer uh, villains. Yeah. Um, from an acting standpoint, I mean, there's so many so many actors that I deeply deeply admire. Um, I th- I mean that the list would be so long. I'm, I've I've been fascinated by Viola Davis's performances recently. Who's not a Meryl Streep fan? She's fascinating. Tom Cruise is a movie star. I think he's a great actor, but I think he's the best movie star to ever live. Um, yeah. I do think those, there's a difference there, but that's, again, a longer conversation. There's a very good argument for that. Um, you know, guys like Heath Ledger, what he was able to do when he was when he was with us, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman, and then you got the, the stoicism and the smallness of Anthony Hopkins and the power of Denzel Washington. One of my greatest, like, joys uh, after the kids go to bed is is watching something uh, from a great artist and, and being fascinated by it and sometimes so fascinated that you're frustrated um, because they're so good. Why even try? Uh, that happens from time to time. And that's, and that's you know, I'm sure you, you enjoy creativity as well. There are some times that I'm so, like, moved and appreciative of what somebody was able to do that, like, I start crying but I don't, I don't, I'm not crying because of like the emotion of the scene or whatever. I'm crying because of like how they, it's so yeah. amazing that somebody can do that. Right. Um, I remember uh, going to see Hamilton um, in, in New York on Broadway. It was probably a year, year, year and a half ago. Original cast? Uh, no, it wasn't the original cast. Um, Lynn wasn't there anymore, but it, it doesn't matter. I was six minutes in and I remember I'm sitting there with my wife and I leaned over and I told her, I said, I, I think this might be the most amazing piece of art I've ever seen, um, <laughs> like seven minutes into the performance and just being brought to tears, not seven minutes in, like the story isn't making me cry at that point, but being brought to tears based just because of respecting what Lim was willing to do, the sacrifices he inevitably was willing to make to bring that to life. And then now all of us get to experience it, you know, be moved by it. And that, that, that's what's fascinating to me as a creative. It's what I want to spend my life doing. Um, but what's really cool is that we all have our own. I couldn't have written Hamilton. Not I'm not even necessarily from a talent perspective, although that's true. But even from a a passion perspective, that was Lynn's project. You know, that was always his project. And I can only do what I can do. A week away was always mine. Lynn couldn't do it with a week away what I did with a week away. Like it was my. That was my thing. That was my right. idea. That was my responsibility really um and so all of us hopefully being open and aware enough to those kind of things that we're that we are supposed to do and supposed to bring to life i think is important it's almost like it feels like a calling and the calling will have its days where it's frustrating and i don't want to do it anymore but if you are that committed to it and that essentially moved by it you'll have to stay with it you'll have to see it through um, and th- that's kind of the stuff that I'm looking for with regard to things that I'm going to create or do or, or whatnot. And it's pretty rare, but it does happen if you're open to it. That's right. Um, you shot a video in February, uh, for Russell Dickerson called, uh, love you. Like I used to, <laughs> and, right. uh, and you and Sarah Antonio joked that it might be the last kiss of 2020 on set. Um, do you think that this is going to be your last Nashville music video? Uh, it's my first one, and yeah, I, probably. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I only did that one because uh, a good friend of mine was producing it, and she's lovely, and uh, her name is Daniela. I don't know if you know Daniela. 
Mason mm-hmm. at all, but she's yep. fantastic. And so she was producing it. So she asked me to come out, come out and do it. And, and, uh, I was happy to. <clears throat> right. And, and I, I, <laughs> it feels like you'll be a little bit too busy. You've got at least, uh, four more, uh, films, uh, in the, in, you know, sort of in post or in, in production right now. So we're going to see, be seeing a lot more of Alan Powell in the near future and rightfully so. I'm so proud of you, man. I'm so excited for what you're doing and I want you to keep going strong. Uh, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and on the internet and maybe where they can see some of your work? Sure. You, my handle for most things is Alan Powell, A-L-A-N-P-O-W-E-L-L. And then the number 10 only because Alan Powell was taken. Um, so <laughs> Alan Powell 10 is Instagram, Twitter, um, I don't know what Facebook is, but you'll find me. Um, and as far as like see work, I mean, you know, if you YouTube Alan Powell, you'll, you can lose a lot of time. Um, as you are apparently aware, like you did last night. <laughs> I did. Um, and, uh, again, I've had the privilege of being in a number of films and TV shows, a, a few of which you can find on Netflix and, or you can go to iTunes and, you know, they're around. I love it, man. Alan Powell, I have one last question for you. The actor Chris Winty stole a sweater from you. Do you think you're ever going to get that sweater back? Well, <laughs> seeing as how I forgot about that, I'm going to say no. But I'm going to call him. I'm going to call him now. And, and uh, do you, is he is he in Los Angeles now? Like he I don't is. know. He is. Okay. Well, I'm just going to go to his house then. Take that thing back. <laughs> Alan, this has been a blast, man. I, I, I can't wait to see what else you have in the future, and I hope I get to see you soon, and we can sit down and uh, have a cocktail together or some dinner. I look forward to it, Chris. Thank you. Anytime, brother. Take care. See you, bro. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, You can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.